Hi, I'm Grant. Welcome back, worms! Welcome aboard, everybody! I hope you all had a fun and safe President's Day weekend. <laughs> Just kidding. I know you didn't. You all died during that weekend. And uh, just a quick message for the person who died of a fireworks accident on President's Day? Weird, man. You couldn't wait like five months? Anyway, if it's feeling a little warm for February, let me be the first to welcome you to H.E. Double Hockey Sticks, baby, you're in hell. Oh, okay, okay, get over yourselves, it's not that bad. You're here with me, after all, and I'm going to be giving you the greatest gift, a guided tour through pinnacle moments in U.S. history. Fair. Hurtful, but fair. Whatever you all did to fuck up your immortal souls and end up here is none of my business. With the exception of overeager firework guy, still upset with you, but the people you're going to see on today's tour really fucked their shit like big time. These gentlemen were given the single most powerful position you humans can give a person, and every single one of them just went and did ridiculously heinous stuff while holding that position. That's right, folks. Today, we're going on a fantastical train ride to show you why those beloved leaders are all right here in hell. I've been getting the feedback on this tour that showing the founding fathers is kind of redundant. We get it, the souls of the damned have screamed at me. They were slave owners and that's bad and yeah, that's true. But there was one founder who both condemned slavery and backed it up by never even owning a slave. That was John Adams. John and his son John Quincy have the distinct honor of being the only two presidents in the first 12 who didn't own slaves. And yet they're both here. So what exactly did John Adams do that landed him in the fiery pit? Well, there's a lot you could pick on John Adams for. The two biggins that made him come here were his two most controversial bills he passed. They were 1798's The Alien and Sedition Acts. The Alien Act, pure and simple, was an anti-immigration policy. It gave the federal government the right to deport anyone they wanted for any reason at any time. But the people they were trying to target made it even more despicable. 
America just showcased how cool and fun doing a revolution is, so our neighbors across the Atlantic, the French, decided they were going to get in on some of that action. The citizens of France launched a decade-long campaign that involved overthrowing their monarchy, fighting to implant a democratic system, and chopping off a lot of heads. Side note, we don't consider violent revolution a damnable offense in hell. Unless the cause is bad. Then we definitely do. You would think America would be down to clown for helping out that cause, but uh, no. Several folks from France fled France to seek refuge in the United States, and many of them could be considered revolutionaries. The government, <laughs> Adams, was worried that they'd rile up U.S. citizens and encourage the states to go do a war to aid the French revolutionaries. So, Adams decided to nip that in the bud by passing a law that said, Fuck you, I can deport whoever I want, especially if they're French and a supposed revolutionary and or spy. Not great. The Sedition Act made shit even weirder. On top of that, John Adams was so concerned about his precious influence and the rising popularity of what was then called the Democratic Republican Party, aka the party that really fucking hated Adams' guts, that he passed a law that made it illegal to criticize the government. Just straight up. And the only reason he passed this law was so that people sympathetic to this hot new party would stop saying mean things about him in the papers. Folks, if you ever run into a conservative or an unfunny comedian who's worried about shit like cancel culture or compares any kind of censorship to... I don't know, the Holocaust or the book 1984, just kindly remind them that America already did that, and the guy who did it got his entire ass kicked in the next election. And boy, did his campaign against Jefferson get nasty. The two weren't exactly friends, but this was in an era when you could just say shit and they would put it in the newspaper and people just figured that was true. They didn't have fact checkers back then. At one point, Thomas Jefferson alleged that it would be impossible to vote for John Adams because John Adams was secretly dead. The man made himself unlikable in office, paved the way for an era of Jeffersonian politics that saw a huge increase in slave ownership and may be partially responsible for the nastiness we see in politics to this day. And just as a fun aside, John Adams wanted to be referred to as His Excellency while in office. So that's weird. We torture Adams by showing him Thomas Jefferson documentaries that praise the fuck out of him. There are some presidents that don't get talked about enough. For every Abraham Lincoln, there are like three Millard Fillmores, for example. Guys, your history teacher just skipped over, because who the fuck cares? But I don't think that's fair. They're just as evil and rotten as the famous guys, and it's time they got their time in the sun. So let's talk about the guy who preceded Lincoln, a man who by and large is considered to be the absolute worst president ever, James Buchanan. I want you to think about the worst president you've ever been alive for. You may immediately think of Donald Trump. 
Or maybe you have a painful recollection of the George W. Bush presidency. Or hell, maybe you think every president who's ever been a Democrat has been the spawn of Satan himself. Which, by the way, isn't true. Not that the Democratic presidents were like good guys or anything. I mean, they're all here in hell. But I mean, my dude Big S is a bachelor and has zero kids. Hates kids. Eats kids. No matter what president came to mind when I asked you that question, I promise you you're wrong. Because none of them started the Civil War. Buchanan was the poster child of maybe if I ignore the problem it will go away. The country was chomping at the bit to destroy itself over slavery. The Supreme Court was about to make a decision on the legality of being able to own slaves in the territories. Not the states, just the territories. And old James was just happy to let them do their thing. He said during his inauguration that this issue of slavery, quote, Happily, a matter of but little practical importance, since the Supreme Court was about to settle it speedily and finally. Ha! Two days later, the Supreme Court ruled that you could own slaves in the territories and ruled that black people could never become legal U.S. citizens, not even the free ones. It's known as the Dred Scott case, and it's a massive stain on U.S. history. What's even more insane is Buchanan was kind of hoping and even nudging the court to go that way. The old, hey, sorry, nothing I can do about it now, Supreme Court said that's the law approach. You don't have to do anything progressive if someone else stops you, right? See also Biden's so-called feud with Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. Buchanan's party were largely northerners and anti-slavery, but James just could not be bothered with that issue. Ugh, it was so boring. It wasn't that big of a deal. Supreme Court fixed it. I just want to do president stuff now. He didn't want his cabinet to go one way or the other. He didn't think the issue was that important. His supporters called him a doe face which is like 1850s slash 60s slang for a northerner of southern sensibilities. When Kansas was being considered to enter the U.S. as a state, he supported a document called the Lecompton Constitution, which basically said, Kansas can have slaves, yo, even though it fucks with the whole balance of the country we have going on. Buchanan's efforts to support that bill ultimately failed, and Kansas voted to join the Union as a free state. Good on you, Kansas. In November of 1860, a little president named Abraham Lincoln would be elected, and as a result, seven southern states decided to secede from the Union. Now, Lincoln had two more months before he was in office, so it was up to James Buchanan to try and keep the Union together. One last shot at it to stop it from happening. And here's what he decided to do. Buchanan's response was a finger wag, saying, hey, you can't do that. But then he heel-turned and said, but I don't have the authority to stop you. Buchanan ignored his place in history and further divided a country that was on the brink of splitting itself open, only to leave the mess to his successor. And folks, you know what? Since Buchanan couldn't be bothered to stop what would become a divided nation, 
We just split him in half one day and haven't checked on him since. It's been nearly 200 years. He's probably just lying there all in half and whatnot, decaying forever. So for those keeping score, Buchanan inadvertently started a war, Lincoln unfucked the country, his vice president Andrew Johnson refucked the country, so now it was time for America's redemption tour. The old, hey, ignore the racist guy who set civil rights back another hundred years. That's a different part of the tour for a different day. Now we have the guy who beat the Confederates as the president. If you've ever seen a $50 bill, you've seen our next guy, Ulysses S. Grant. Kicker of slave-owning ass, first post-war president to actually support a civil rights bill, and the guy who made an earnest attempt to squash the KKK in South Carolina. How did we get him down here? Well, Grant was not a politician. Really never wanted to be anywhere near it. But he was a notable celebrity due to the aforementioned ass-kicking of the Confederates. He'd get to his president desk at about 10 in the morning every morning, dismiss his bodyguards because really who was going to try and kill the guy who won the deadliest war in U.S. history, and just kind of winged it. He'd often ask Congress what he was supposed to do, which made him really easy to trick. Which is exactly what two slimy investors named Jay Gould and Jay Fisk did. Look, this is going to be some light economics talk, but basically the country was in dire straits because the war was mad expensive. So Grant came up with this plan, kind of piggybacking off an Andrew Johnson policy, to slow down the production of cash money in exchange for a gold economy to try and get things moving again. He was just giving the stuff away. Easiest way I can describe it was it was a cash for gold program where you were receiving more gold than you had in cash. And it was working pretty well, to be honest. Gould and Fisk didn't like that. They needed the U.S. to stop doing that if their schemes were going to work. These were dudes who tricked people into selling them railroads, and they kind of needed the gold economy to be a little bit more exclusive. They hoped that the government would hold on to its gold instead of giving it to all these regular Joe Schmoes. If they did that, then the Ghoul and Fisk team would buy up as much gold as they could and watch the value of it rise. When the price of gold got high enough to gain them a huge profit, they would sell. But if Grant decided to put more gold on the market by trading it for greenbacks, the price would stay too low. That makes sense to everyone? Okay, good. I practiced that speech for a long time, so if you have any questions, keep them to your fucking self! The scheme gets downright wacky after that. They get one of Grant's in-laws in on it, and they convince him to put a really scuzzy guy to be Secretary of the Treasury, and then they buy a bunch of gold, and the economy crashes. It crashes so hard, they call it Black Friday. Now, you could say that's not Grant's fault, that he was inexperienced and was duped by people he trusted. To which I say, maybe don't run for president. 
The corruption that occurred under his watch was rampant and unstoppable. It didn't begin with Black Friday, and it certainly didn't end with Black Friday. Grant endured eight years of ridicule and people backstabbing him. His party paraded him around like a puppet, taking him on train tour to train tour to try and drum up support for whatever they were trying to do, and he didn't know anything he was talking about. He was shy. He was nervous. He didn't do foreign policy well. This was a guy who had two skill sets, killing people as a war general and talking to horses. In his civilian life, he drank himself to death and fell into severe poverty. He knew he'd have to dig his way out of it for his children's prosperity, so he put pen to paper and wrote, Honestly? The greatest presidential autobiography of all time. If you ever get a free minute in hell, and trust me, you will, you're going to want to read that. Grant is in hell. He may deserve it a little less than the others, but it's hard to be president and come out of it unscathed. So, for foolishly believing he could hold the highest office in the land, constantly being tricked, and overseeing unwittingly a lot of corruption, he is in hell. But it's like diet hell. He's allowed to sit and read every now and again. And sometimes we make him deliver a speech stone cold sober with no preparation. And also he's naked. I feel like in comparison to other people, he got off pretty easy. I'm giving you one more today. Just one. But our last one is a doozy. J. F. K. John F. Kennedy, the pretty boy president, the first Catholic president, the people's president, the one who was going to advocate for black voting rights, the one that was tragically shot in Dallas in 1963, one of the most beloved presidents. And folks, this guy is super in hell. As far as being president goes, he didn't really get a lot of time to set himself up for success, but he did drag his feet on some pretty important stuff. During the three years of his presidency, he'd have frequent meetings with Martin Luther King Jr. on how to best assist his movement, but often got cold feet, worrying about his chances in southern states. He'd point to the less non-violent actions of his supporters, but like most bad things having to do with race and doing the right thing, it was definitely politically motivated. To be fair, his attorney general slash brother Robert gave Jack a lot of shit for constantly leading Dr. King on. JFK wasn't exactly great with foreign policy either. His bumbling of a meeting with Nikita Khrushchev, leader of the Soviet Union at the time, basically led to the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba, which was almost leading to a huge nuclear war with Russia, and it really only heightened the ongoing Cold War between the two countries. So over two of the two big things his presidency could be remembered for, so we're not off to a great start. But Kennedy's personal life while he was in the public eye was secret, dark, and adulterous as all get out. Before we even get into the things John was known for, the Kennedys were already sketchy as fuck long before he became president. 
They were an American dynasty after all, and you don't get to that position by being super cool to people all the time. John's older sister, Rosemary, suffered from seizures and what were described as violent mood swings, which made her unbecoming to the dynastic family. To address this, her loving father, Joseph Sr., arranged for a prefrontal lobotomy, which permanently made her unable to speak coherently. She was 23 years old, and she would have that issue for an additional 63 years. She was sent off to a facility in Wisconsin where she was not allowed to have any interaction with her family. Don't worry, folks. We also torture the ever-loving hell out of Joseph Kennedy Sr. Jack went on to serve in the Navy, which fucked up his back to the point where he'd suffer chronic pain for the rest of his life. But that didn't seem to be able to stop him from being a total playboy. As a single dude in the 40s, he was involved with actresses and journalists before finally settling down with the lovely Jacqueline Bouvier, who he then cheated on. A lot. It's fairly well noted in common knowledge that JFK liked sex and lots of it. There's the urban myth that JFK said he would need to have sex at least once every 72 hours or he'd get big headaches. I don't know how true that is, but it sure sounds like bullshit, doesn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. We don't sex shame here in hell. Go out, have sex as much as you want with whoever you want. Just make sure all parties are consenting and you don't hurt anybody and you won't be in hell for sex things. It's not a crime and it's definitely not a damnable offense. Now, that being said, the nature of Kennedy's presidential sex life is immoral at best and nearly caused an international incident at worst. Among his most notable affairs, you had the likes of Hollywood elites like Judith Campbell, Mary Pinchot, Marilyn Dietrich, Mimi Alford, Marilyn Monroe, of course, possibly even his college roommate and his wife's press secretary Pamela Turner. All of these affairs and more were not only known by his staff, but supervised by them. The Secret Service had to be on Jack constantly to be sure his special guests weren't being given presidential information. So, naturally, JFK would think, that's kind of a boner killer, having the CIA and the Secret Service right outside my door while I'm trying to get my bone on. So he would duck them as often as he could, which, you know, is kind of a problem because he's in charge of all the things. And it, of course, led to a big fucking problem. Then FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover one day received a report that once again the president had boned a woman he met. But that woman was Ellen Romisht. And that's bad because Ellen Romisht was an alleged Russian spy. This is in 1962. In 1963, Hoover would get another report that JFK slept with an alleged spy. Again. JFK felt he was able to sneak behind the eyes of the press and have all these affairs because he was charming and nice to them, which is the most insane thing I've ever heard. I'll never get caught because people like me. 
His staff had to humor and even support his habits because he was the goddamn president. And if he didn't act on his urges, who knew what insane shit he'd be doing otherwise? Even Jackie got weirdly complacent about the whole thing, advising her staff to just not tell her what JFK was up to. Ever. For any reason. She knew she couldn't divorce him. She knew she was locked into the Kennedy dynasty forever. Man. <laughs> so yeah. JFK couldn't keep his dick to himself. He was too cowardly to get black people the right to vote. He abused his position and nearly started a nuclear war, both as a bad negotiator and as a sex maniac. We have a lot of fun torturing him. Man, we have so much material. Some days, he has to relive the grassy knoll. Some days, we do penis origami. Sometimes, we give him a lobotomy. Sometimes, we leave him in a room alone for a week and just see if he gets one of his famous headaches. And if he doesn't, we give him one with a jackhammer. That ends our tour for this ride through hell. I hope you learned that no matter what bad things you did in life, no matter how bad you ever felt, at least your bad decisions didn't carry the same weight as these absolute dipshits who are now burning forever. But hey, you know what? You're all in hell too. So you're on the same level as actual presidents. Try to keep that in mind as you plummet to your eternal punishment, worms.